time now to introduce the guests for today's Think Tank. We're joined by Mitzi Hunter, former Minister of Education of the province of Ontario, and Steve Pakin, Canadian journalist and author. Glad to have you both here. And Happy New Year to both of you. How are you today? Well, Happy New Year. It's wonderful to be here with both of you. Um, Amen to you guys, too. And, and I guess we can say it the rest of the day, right? Yes, we, we can. I think I, I, I'm giving everybody full authorization to say it all day long. Um, Mitzi, I want to start with you. I know, Steve, I followed your enthusiasm for the opening of the PWHL yesterday. But Mitzi, I'd like to start with you. Uh, what are your thoughts as the, the woman on our panel, uh, as you see the, the dawn of a new women's professional hockey league in Canada? Oh, I am thrilled. I think this is super exciting for women, for sports. And I just feel like this is long overdue. It's time has come. And remember, I'm a Scarborough girl, and so is Natalie Spooner. So (laughs) I'm cheering them on. And uh, and I do believe that this is long overdue. And this, this is something that requires investments. And enthusiastic fans like we saw on New Year's Day. And I really want to see that this league succeeds. Um, They're setting it up the right way with cities in the U.S., cities in Canada. And, um, you know, it's not lost on me that the first person to score a goal, even though it was for the New York team, came from Ingersoll, Ontario. So this is really cool. (laughs) So, Steve, I, I followed your enthusiasm for this game, for this league on uh, social media. Do you think, as Mitzi does, that this league has been set up for success? I do. And the fact of the matter is they've got rich people behind it, which they haven't had in the past, and you need that. They've got a television deal. You need that. They seem to have some good sponsors lined up. You need that. You need to sell tickets. And from what I understand, the team that's going to be playing at the Old Maple Leaf Gardens, which is the Toronto team, now the Mattamy Athletic Centre, has sold out the whole season already. So they seem to have a pretty good foundation for what they want to build. I, I, I agree. And as, as I was saying earlier in the show, I'm glad that they're building it. So it feels like they're building it responsibly, build, waiting till they get critical mass, which they seem to have at least in Toronto already, before they start getting uh, ahead of their skis. You know, So th- this is their original six teams, just like the NHL had an original six. And it seems like they're building it that way. They're not. They're not trying to... Uh, have a team in every NHL city immediately. And I think that's how you're going to build this thing organically. Yeah, I agree with you. The only down note yesterday was that Toronto didn't score a single goal. (laughs) So the people who went to the game didn't really get a single chance to cheer. Uh, But otherwise, it was a very good product. And I'll tell you what, Ben, and you saw me tweet this yesterday. Anybody who says there's no contact in women's hockey has clearly never watched women's hockey. They hit and they yeah. hit hard out there, yeah. even though technically it's against the rules. But it's a highly entertaining brand of hockey. Uh, Mitzi, let's move on to what I feel is, um, I think a lot of people just assumed that the battle over the 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 Dundas name in Toronto was over. Uh, that 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 the. the um, Wherever you found the name Dundas, that was going to be replaced at some point. But it does feel like there is there is pushback that is happening from a number of places, both on the board. Uh, the, I think two members of the board, including the, the head of the board of the uh, Young Dundas Square. And now some uh, some historians are pushing back, saying that 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 uh, there has been a disservice to the name Dundas. And there has been a, a complete misrepresentation of who that person was. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think the city has 
circumvented the consultation process. And and that's what has, you know, everyone was caught by surprise with the, the new name, Sankufa Square, that's going to be replacing Dundas Square. And it sort of came out of nowhere for people. So so I could see that people... Some some people have found an opening here to to continue this debate and this discussion as to whether or not the name Dundas merits being on our landmarks, whether it's public libraries or main squares um, or even streets. Although the the city has seemed to pause the changeover of of the name Dundas Street itself for probably for budget reasons, and um, and and this is now a fight around the significant naming of, of landmarks. And I do want to say that um, a lot of the the streets that are named or the, the public places don't reflect the wonderful diversity that is in our city. It is changing because, you know, in Scarborough, we have the Denham Jolly Way, we have Viola Desmond Park, and these are good starts. But we do need to see more inclusivity when it comes to naming of streets and landmarks. And uh, and so I'm not sure that this group is going to get very far with their arguments, given that the street itself is being paused and, and the name of the street isn't changing. Well, Steve, I think what this does is it highlights the fact that we just don't know our own history well enough that that most most Torontonians sort of just sat there as passive observers when activists on both sides uh, had a debate amongst themselves. And, you know, I didn't know and I'll I'll put myself in that camp. I didn't know enough about Henry Dundas early, uh, uh, early on enough. I had to learn from other people. Uh, And it just seems to me that, you know, I think we were all done a disservice by not knowing our own civic history. Uh, I, I think you're 100% right about that. And the nice thing about this Dundas Street controversy is at least we're having an opportunity to learn about what Henry Dundas either did or didn't do all those years ago. Look, I think Mitzi and I are probably in screaming agreement on this one, and that is that, yes, of course, there are going to be reasonable opportunities to rename certain streets or locations around our capital city here, which don't stand up to today. And I'm not saying whether Dundas is one of them or not, but but there surely are examples of where renamings are appropriate. But holy smokes, Ben, we, we didn't seem to have much of a process involved involving the public here in getting that done. Yeah. Uh, from what I'm seeing right now, uh, two people who were associated with this renaming process have resigned because they think the public was shut out of the whole thing. They seem to have picked a name, this committee, that has very little, if any, application to Toronto itself, and they don't seem to have any criteria for getting public involvement here or finding a name that has some relevance to Toronto. So um, maybe we could do a little better on that going forward. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, and, but I, I just hope, like, and Mitzi, um, I, I don't know whether uh, this, this group that is pushing back is going to have any success, but I, do, uh, but I do hope that this pushback makes those who feel that they can make these changes without the transparency uh, and without the um, communication with the public, I hope it gives them pause the next time they want to do something like this. Yeah, and I completely agree with what Steve said around the education that is required. And, you know, this sort of stuff was not taught 
in schools. So this is something that we can all do better at and, and know our true histories, recognize our true histories. You know, someone said to me just, just last night that she wishes that it was named after an Indigenous person. And so, you know, these are, are, are aspects that weren't able to be debated or discussed because the process itself was flawed. And, and that's unfortunate because our public squares are places that we should, you know, bring people together. It's celebration. It's, you know, you have like Mount Lassman Square. You know exactly why that name is, yeah. is there <laughs> in North York. And, and so this is, uh, this is something that the city has to take into consideration. And, and there are consultations for a reason, because you have to give voice to citizens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's the way that, that the city process works. Uh, I want to take a moment uh, and take us back to uh, New Year's Eve celebrations in Times Square, where um, John Mayer joined Anderson Cooper and uh, Andy Cohen as they were celebrating uh, New Year's Eve for CNN. And Anderson Cooper was caught off guard by the fact that John Mayer was joining them from Japan from a cat cafe. And Anderson Cooper's reaction has gone viral. So let, let's take a listen to that. You know what? I believe it passes all health codes. I think it's just fine. Yes, we are at a cat bar. It's called Cats in the Box in Tokyo celebrating uh, New Year's. We're already halfway through the first day of 2024. John. I'm here so with John. Uh, Shin and just- five other proprietors of the bar. Talk to me about this bar. You are. Yeah, we, 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 we can end that there because it just it just and continues and continues. And I really want your opinion on a number of things. What do we think? And Steve, you are uh, you, you know you are are somebody that people look up to. They they look up to. Uh, they want your opinion. They want your steady hand on the till when it comes to the news. <laughs> but what happens when you do something fun? When you do something, do, do you get pushback from people on social media saying, you know, you, you know, your, your joke was if you tell a joke, they they're not expecting you to be funny. They're not expecting you to have an opinion on on something silly. Uh, you're supposed to stay in your news box. Do you, do you ever get that from anybody? Of course. Uh, you and I both, and I'm sure Mitzi did as well when she was in politics, you get pushback on every single thing you do, good, bad, or indifferent. But I do have to make a confession here. I, I actually watched this live in real time as it was happening. We have seen on on um, New Year's Eve night, and wow, that's a bad laugh. That <laughs> it's is a- such a bad laugh. I, I think I, I think it was what to do about that. I laugh. think it was fun. I, Mitzi, what did you think of Anderson Cooper losing it on TV? Yeah, I, I also watched it in real time, but not having watched it from the beginning when they had sort of this competition of the shots. So I didn't understand why Anderson Cooper couldn't, you know, comment. He couldn't even give names of what he thought. There was a guessing game um, that uh, Andy Cohen had about, you know, name the cat. He was just lost. And I'm yeah. like, why is he behaving like that? I just, I, I was, I just didn't get it until, you know, replaying this the next day and so many things went wrong with this. <laughs> but Mitzi, and- Mitzi, it seems like for, for people in positions of authority, be it government, be it uh, newscasters, there is an expectation by a certain type of person that they want to keep you in that box. 
And, you know, I watch Anderson Cooper in that moment and I love it. And I love it. And one of the reasons I love it is back when I did a morning show on television, people would, a, a number of people would say that, that, that they're, um, that when I would lose, my, when, when I would be caught um, uh, by surprise by a, a clip that would make me laugh, that would make their day. But as many people who would say that, there would be the same amount of people who would say, you know, I can't take you seriously anymore because you laughed on TV and you're supposed to be giving me the serious news. And so there's, have you, have you ever been told that, that people didn't, they didn't want you to be anything but what you were there to be? Yeah, I think that when you're a public person, people sort of expect you to behave like they, they you like you did in a debate or something like that. And, and you can't do that all the time. Um, so, sure, it was a, a, an unguarded moment. But for, for me, it was a bit weird because it's not the voice that I'm used to hearing from Anderson Cooper. And, and so, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's about how it just caught people off guard. And I think that that's, that's what the criticism is here. And that's why it blew up. Can I jump on that? Ben? Uh, yes, please. I, absolutely. I, think I know the point you're trying to make here, which is that, yes, people or some people anyway, want to put people who are broadcast journalists in a box and assume that they have no potential sense of humor or character other than what they show in their very serious primetime programs, that kind of thing. I get that point. There were moments and I've, uh, you know, I've been faced with this myself and I completely understand why Anderson Cooper, when he was asked some, uh, let's put it like delicate questions by Andy about what, you know, is Donald Trump going to go to jail this year? Agree or disagree? I totally understand why a journalist who will have to cover that story on television live in the year ahead would not want to weigh in with an opinion on that. And I totally cut Anderson Cooper slack on not weighing in on those kinds of things. Uh, The fact that he laughed about the cat cafe was fine. Yeah. uh, But, but it did reveal that, you know, Ben, what do I say here? Some laughs sound really cool and really get you going. <laughs> Other laughs. <laughs> I know. I sounds know. like a, it sounds a little bit like a gerbil. Laugh. What could I tell you? Sounds like a gerbil or something like that. I don't know. I, I I just enjoy seeing people. You don't expect to lose it to lose it to lose it. Um, let's yeah, move true. on to. Um, there's an advo- advocacy group in Toronto that is um, that wants the city to update its and refine its noise bylaw. And this is a is a trigger for me. I have a real problem with people who live downtown who expect to be living with the with the, the level of noise that you would expect living in the suburbs or in the country. I think cities are loud places, very loud places. This is where and if you want to live downtown, if you want to live near transit, then you have to expect that you're going to have the associated noise that comes with it. And it, is, it takes me all the way back to those people who live on the Toronto Island who expected the silence that, that comes with living in the Kawarthas, um, but don't appreciate that they live right next to an airport and got mad that they live next to an airport. And so I, 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 may, I may sound unreasonable, Mitzi, but I think if you live downtown, you, you have to expect this because it's going to be a loud existence. Well, Ben, I don't know if I completely agree with you on this point. Because cities are changing, and I actually, I love the fact that there is this citizen engagement, that you have over 8,000 submissions online to noise levels that have been randomly surveyed and recorded. I personally think that the city council committee that's reviewing this bylaw should take into consideration 
this research and this evidence and and make a decision that is appropriate for the city. I think lowering the noise level is, is good for people's mental health and their well-being and livability in the city. And, you know, look at what's going on in um, in Paris uh, with, with Mayor Idigallo, who is really focused on making Paris a more quiet city by making it more of a cyclist city and, and reducing the level of car traffic and noise on certain, certain iconic streets and squares, you know, banning diesel by 2024 and, and all non-electric cars by 2030. These are like serious public policy shifts that are occurring in one of the most famous cities in the world. And I think that Toronto becoming a quieter city is probably good for, for people's well-being. Steve, uh, what, what do you think? Uh, Toronto is the uh, fourth largest city in North America after Mexico City, Los Angeles, New York, then Toronto. Uh, you know, t- uh, we are the engine of the country as goes Toronto, so goes Canada. It's it, it, it this this it, it just requires a lot of fuel. It Canada requires a lot of fuel, and Toronto is allowed. In my opinion, has to be a loud place. Uh, I am delighted that Mitzi and I have finally found a subject that we agree on and we disagree with you on. This is nice. <laughs> this is nice. Makes for good radio. Look, I, I think people understand that when you live in a big city of however many million people, nearly three million people that we are right now in the four one six. You got to put up with some sirens at a particular time of night. You got to put up with some drilling. We're building new subways. Got to put up with a lot of construction. We understand you got to do all that. The one thing that really grinds my gears is when I hear, and it's, forgive me, this will reflect uh, my age and the people who drive these kind of cars. When I hear people booting it down Young Street with no mufflers on their cars and they are purposely, purposely uh, really trying to gun it hard. Uh, in order to create as much noise and disruption as possible. That kind of bothers me a little bit. I also have to confess that when I'm walking up the street and somebody's driving by with windows wide open or maybe the top down and absolutely blasting the music so that you cannot possibly hear yourself think, that grinds my ears a little bit. Um, but I understand. we got to put up a little bit of noise, but, but there got to be some limits, aren't there, Ben? There's got to be some limits? Oh, of course, of course. I'm talking about that the, 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 the unavoidable stuff. Like, frankly, I personally think that there should be, a, you know, we should. New York has construction that happens 24 hours a day. I think we should have it 24 hours a day. I just do. I think yeah, road, work, road, road work, especially downtown, should be happening 24 hours a day because the point of road work is not employment. The point of road work is to finish those roads so that the people with jobs can get to their jobs and pay their taxes. Mm, silence, because we're not sure about that one. <laughs> <laughs> that, that gonna happen? Listen, that can be a conversation for another day. Let's talk about something I think we can all agree with. The beauty, the majesty that is the clear intersection at Young and Eglinton. <laughs> Steve, you work around there. I don't only work around here. I live around here. Yeah. So, uh, so and, I couldn't believe yeah. it. I actually looked at the picture in the star and I had to take a moment and say, what am I looking at? And it took me a moment before it washed over me. And I said, oh my goodness, that's a picture of today, not 15 years ago. This is gorgeous. I saw it as well in the star. And even though I'm, I'm literally a couple of hundred yards away from Young and Eglinton, I, when I went out yesterday, I took my daughter skating yesterday, we went south. We did not go north. And, and we lived just south of it. So I didn't see it. And when I saw it in the paper, I thought to myself, I, I, you know, it may be 11 o'clock at night, but I want to run over there right now and just confirm for myself that 
It actually looks like that. <laughs> I can't wait to see it today. I'm going into work today, and I will see it today. And I, I'm not sure I'm going to recognize my own neighborhood, Ben, because yeah. it has been the most impossible intersection of the whole city for a decade now. Yeah, yeah. That's I think this is going to be a religious experience this morning. I can't wait to experience it. Mitzi, uh, I mean, uh, as positive as we are, it's only a matter of time before they come up with another reason to shut down a lane or two. Well, I got to say, you know, I can't, I I totally understand why Steve was avoiding the intersection and and going south and not not wanting to brave that intersection. I actually remember campaigning at that location and it was dreadful. The hoarding boards, the mud everywhere. And, you know, it was just impossible. So the fact that there are now painted lines and people can see clearly all sides of the intersection, bike lanes, I mean, that's exciting. So, you know, I'm hoping that the coordination has happened with the sewer main replacement or the whatever utility and that we don't see that this beautiful street is going to be ripped up again for some necessary reason. And, you know, I I think we should be celebrating the clearing of all of our key intersections along that corridor, Oakwood and Vaughn area along the Eglinton um, in Little Jamaica is also an an area that that also suffered greatly with with the build out of, of the Eglinton Crosstown with Metrolinks and the delay and it, and and businesses local businesses have suffered because people have been avoiding these areas and so let's celebrate their opening and invite people back oh yes so that we can animate these streets again no you're a hundred you're a hundred percent right exactly it's time to start investing back in, in going back to those stores going back to those shops going back to those restaurants that have suffered tremendously under those closures for uh, what feels like a decade and if they have survived this long then absolutely if you are in that neighborhood stop in and invest some time and some money Money in those um, in those, uh, those those shops that really have had a tough go at it. Um, I completely agree. I think that's a great great idea and a great sentiment. Uh, but I, you know, I've got to say, I have got to wonder what sort of the, the sort of the 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 what the impact of that opening of the the intersection is going to be. There's going to have to be an explosion of um, of of commerce that happens through that intersection because I know people who have avoided that part of town entirely for years who will now come back. Yeah, this is the more serious point then, yeah. which is that we need these kinds of intersections to be cleared. We need to, to be able to show some tangible progress on infrastructure developments in the city, if only because the level of public confidence right now in the public sector, in public services to be delivered properly, appropriately, and effectively is, well, it feels like it's at such an all-time low right now that when you see a major intersection like Young and Eglinton cleared finally for the first time in a decade, uh, it, it does give you some hope that these projects can happen and can happen well and finally get to an end point. And that's what we need to see. We need to see people having confidence for a good reason, because projects are getting done and Let's hope that this is the beginning of something big. Yeah, and Mit- yeah, Mitzi, uh, uh, sorry, would you like to add something there, Mitzi? Well, I, I do, because it reminds me when when Steve brings up the, the public confidence, you know, it reminds me of, of like these updates from Metrolinx and how painful they are. I don't know if you remember that 1990, 1989 song, Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli. Of course I do. And, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's just like, 
blame it on the weather, why there's this delay and we can't, you know, do the commissioning and the, and the testing that we need to do because there's snow outside. I mean, people are just at their end when it comes to waiting for these major projects to open. And that's really what's going to get our explosion of people coming to these areas and the, the busy traffic that we're anticipating is really finally opening those transit stations and those transit hubs yeah. so that people can have access. Well, I, I completely agree. And look, there, there was an article that came out, I believe it was in the Star. Uh, it was a list of all the construction, the road work that was going to be taking place throughout the GTA uh, over the next uh, uh, little while. And it was a long, long list. And it, it, I actually couldn't get through the whole thing. That's how much... Uh, paralysis, especially in the downtown area, we're going to be expecting over the next little while. And so when I take Steve, Steve's point completely, just for, from a, a perspective of, of, of people having faith in the system, of knowing that if we start a project, it will get finished and it will benefit people. If, if we don't feel that, then every time a street closes, we're going to lose uh, confidence in one, two or three levels of government simultaneously. And, you know, if and once this work gets done, we need to know it was done well. I remember living uh, right off of Avenue Road, uh, north of St. Clair. And right when I moved into our house, they shut down half of uh, Oriole Parkway onto Avenue because they had to uh, they had to tear up the street. And that took six months. And then once that was done, we had about a, a month or two months of respite before they realized, oh, we have to replace all of the electrical um, um, uh, uh, towers. And, um, um, and so <laughs> they could have done them at the same time, but didn't. And, and people like myself lost confidence in whoever was planning these, uh, these, these things, thinking, you know, if they can't get their act together on something as simple as this, uh, what's going to happen when something more serious happens? So, so I think, gosh, I've talked for a long time here, guys. I apologize. <laughs> but it's about public confidence, isn't it, Mitzi? Absolutely. It's, it's about public confidence. And, and you know what, Ben? We've got a apropos of Mitzi's Millie Vanilli reference. It's enough lip syncing out there. Let's get the real singing going on. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I also think it's about communications as well, yeah. because the the reality in Toronto is that a lot of our infrastructure underground has aged and needs replacing. And so it's it's important that our city officials really inform street by street, block by block, you know, what is happening? When can we expect it to finish? And you know what? Surprise us. Finish these projects ahead of schedule because you're being efficient and you're doing things uh, in the best possible way. Because I do think that people will be patient if they know when it's going to end. Finish these things ahead of schedule. Mitzi, you've been in government. You know that's not how it works. Yeah, but you know what? I, I think oversight and a hands-on approach is important yeah. and you know councillors mayor need to hold our city officials accountable for well, the delivery of these programs and these projects and not lose sight of of the fact that the public is watching and the public cares and it does affect productivity it actually costs us when we have these delays well mitzi hunter and steve pagan thank you so much for being our first guests on think tank in 2024